We continue our study in the book of Genesis this morning, turning to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we've just sung, to him we wholly consecrate the lives his mercies bless. We are those who give our lives in service to God. And this morning we're going to be looking at how that, what that looks like in the life of women. We're going to be looking just at one part. I, I spent some time this week trying to combine, uh, as the title says, sin's effect on woman and man. And there's just too much material. There's just too much uh, to say. And if you come away from this sermon, even this morning, saying, oh, pastor, there's a lot of things you, didn't, you left out. Yeah, well, join the club. There's a lot of things I had to leave out this morning. We want to hit the uh, foundational points that are found here in Genesis chapter 3 this morning, at least as I have been led to, uh, to preach on them. There is much more that could be said. There's a class that could be offered, certainly, on that, um, and, and much more could be said. But we are those whose, whose lives are to be lived for him. He blesses us with, with his mercies. He showers his grace and his love on us. He sh- makes us to share in these things we've just sung, and his name is ever blessed. That is the heart of what I want to talk about this morning as we talk about uh, what it means to live for God. Uh, It is to be living uh, for his name to be blessed, for us to acknowledge how he has made us, and then to live in light of that uh, design and to complement each other to be working alongside of each other that his name might be glorified. God speaks of lingering effects of sin uh, upon the, the, uh, the fall of the man and woman into, into sin. And then he speaks to the situation. And I want us to note very carefully verses 14, uh, 16 and 17, God is the one speaking and everything in between. God is speaking. This is not my opinion. This is not uh, someone else's idea of what happened there, what took place, but God is speaking. This is God's word and uh, he tells us of what has been the result of sin, how it will play out in front of us. And in fact, this is merciful. This is, this is God's uh, uh, mercy to us and that he he tells us this so that we might see where sin rises up. Because if we were left to ourselves, we would continually deny and continually um, make excuses for our sin rather than turning to the Word and seeing where sin is found that God might help us. We notice also in this passage that God does not abandon His design because of sin. Some who want to stay relevant... I use that in quotation marks, to stay relevant in our culture today. Uh, We'll say things like, well, the Bible's picture for man and woman is the ideal, but there are other ways. And that's that's just playing fast and loose with what God teaches. God's God's call is to what he has declared. It's not, though we don't reach it, we nevertheless are those who must obey And we don't look for other ways to live. Sin does not change God's design, nor does it introduce other models. The presence of other practices in the Bible, the Old Testament, shows 
Uh, particularly in, but even in the new, as Paul speaks to the Corinthians and their sin shows that man needs a savior. It doesn't say, well, these are just other ways to live. These are just other ways uh, that we can express our, our given uh, createdness. No, they're offered as those things which prove that we need to be rescued from sin and shown the truth over and over. As God said, so it lasts, so it endures forever. The man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And so it is to this day. This foundational principle has not changed because of the fall. Well, let's look then at verses 14 to 19. I'm going to read the entire pericope there, though we're, we're going to be focusing just on the first half. The man and woman have eaten of the fruit. God has come to them to ask them where they are and if they understand what they have done. And they confess that they have eaten of the fruit. And the Lord then turns to the one who led them to sin, the serpent, Satan, and says this. The Lord God said, verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head, and you shall strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be against your husband, and he shall rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field." By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Beloved, I was listening to someone talk about the family recently, and they used that term, the nuclear family, and they were uh, uh, explaining how we often think of that. When we say nuclear family, we talk about, that was often spoken of as the nucleus. That's the heart or the, the core of society. As the family goes, so goes society. But he said something else that was rather interesting. He said the, the family is nuclear in another sense. It's like a nuclear power plant. It's, it powers civilization, it powers the world, and it, 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 can, it, it has tremendous potential for good to lead the civilization on. But as we know, in power plants, if there is a nuclear breakdown, if there is a, a, a break in the shield that protects, uh, there is what we call nuclear fallout. Some years ago, I believe I was in high school, when Chernobyl happened in in Russia, they had a nuclear uh, reactor uh, basically break down, and there was nuclear fallout. And to this day, they are affected by that fallout, by that radiation. And the point that he wanted to make as he was speaking about the family in that way is he says, if the family is functioning according to design, protected by God's word, it powers civilization. But if it is uh, in some way corrupted and it is, uh, th- that, that breaks down, then there is fallout. And that fallout is long-lasting and even fatal. 
Well, the man and the woman were in the garden to hear God's command, but Satan also heard God's command, or command to the man and the woman. He observed the design that God had given for the man and for the woman that he was to be the one who worked and kept the garden along with his wife, that he was to be the one who was helped by his wife to do that. And he attacked that design right there. And he continues to attack it. And so we must observe God's call and design to us and for us so that we know what we are to uphold for the attacks continue to come. And we dare not forget what God said and still says about his design for civilization. And we recognize that the best of men, the best of women, are only men or women at best. We are weak. We are those who are vulnerable. We are those who are exposed, naked, as the Scripture says. Those in need of God's protection, of His his clothing, of His coming. Giving a Savior and His Spirit to redeem and to sanctify, to justify and to sanctify. We must welcome correction from God and trust Him to guide us to deliver us from sin's effects. God made man, male and female, equally in his image with different roles. There was potential to develop and power a wonderful civilization if the man and woman obeyed God, but we know what happened. Our first parents sinned, and we sinned in them, we read in the Scripture. The eating of the fruit was no insignificant event, but it had cosmic effect. It had lasting fact, after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they knew that they had sinned and they hid from the Lord, and they knew that they were under God's judgment, for he had stated clearly that if they were to eat, they would surely face death. He gave them opportunity to repent, and instead they shifted blame, and to this day we do the same. We shift blame and make excuses for our sin, but God is just in his judgments, for he created us with the ability to keep the law, and we stand under condemnation of our rebellion. And his word still speaks clearly, and yet today we still clearly reject it in many ways and resist it in many ways. After they had sinned, God came to Adam and Eve and asked a series of questions. When he had heard their answers and they had explained why they had done what they did, he said, oh, I understand. I, had, I guess I, didn't, I hadn't seen that. I, I didn't take that into consideration. No, that's not what he said. That's not what he said. He asked this very simple question. Did you do what I told you not to do? Did you eat of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The answer was yes, and the fallout is still with us. The Lord never spoke the word guilty. He didn't need to. The man and the woman both declared in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3, I ate. I ate. Before the Lord declared the effect of their sin, he spoke to Satan, declaring that his existence would be one of futility, eating dust. We'll look very briefly at that, that word to Satan. He says, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. 
This would be the posture. Satan chose to, to uh, inhabit a creature which crawled on the ground. And this position of humiliation, this position would be his position before God. He would not be like God as he had seen, uh, believed he would be when he rebelled in heaven. But he would be one who was now humiliated before God. And he refused to repent and therefore he would go on forever in this position or shall we say, until he is finally defeated and crushed, as we read in Romans 16. God declared his final judgment upon the devil for his action and and upon his offspring, and it would most certainly come to pass, for the Lord spoke this word. Well, then the Lord spoke to Eve. Verse 16, he said to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your hus- against your husband, contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. I believe that footnote is the, the proper translation for the Hebrew word there. We'll look at that in a moment. The Lord spoke in this judgment of a continuation of life, something of a, of a, of a surprising word to Eve. In the presence of sin, in the presence of certain judgment, he did say humanity would endure. But in what was meant to be happy and fruitful, there would be pain and there would be strife because of the choice, because of the desire. What was to be unmitigated joy, namely having children, was now blemished with pain, and yet in the pain there would be hope for new life would come. Though Eve sinned, she was granted the privileged position of bearing children. From her line, the Savior would come. This hadn't changed. This wasn't different than before, but it was made clear. God says, you will maintain that position. Women bear that privileged position in creation, created with the ability to carry a child and give birth to the child. Men cannot do this. Men cannot do this without women without a woman. This is foundational, and we must not be ashamed to say so in a culture that says, oh no, it, doesn't, it isn't necessary. It's disposable. It's not needed. And God has created it this way, and it will be this way until the end, and it is good. Women are exalted by this role in God's creation. It should be celebrated, not seen as something which makes a woman unequal to man. That is the lie that's being told today. In recent years, there are those who say that in order to be for women fully, we have to argue for birth control and abortion to make women equal so that they can be equal with man, and that is equally free from getting pregnant and equally free to be out of the home. As though this is the the ultimate, the only place for fulfillment. But the woman's ability to carry and bear a child is to her glory. And without this, there would be no future, and the devil knows that. And so he presses us to deny God's given and to look for fulfillment elsewhere. He does that with all of us. He does that with men and women. Turns us away from God's good design and says, go, find your fulfillment elsewhere.
Furthermore, the woman has, the mother has a tremendous influence on the upbringing of her child. It's a glorious position. It's not an inferior position. When Eve sinned, God did not remove her from the world. He reminded her of her created glory. He reminded her of what her givenness was. To, along with the man, fill the earth and to subdue it. And it is very good. He spoke a word of hope that rose above the pain of life, the frustration that would come from that sin, that desire which was contrary to God's will. From her would come the Savior of the world. The inability of a woman to bear a child should be grieved, not celebrated as freedom as it is today. I want to be careful with that. I don't want to be insensitive in saying so. For there are those who are unable to bear children. But I want to be clear. God made women to bear children. Satan's deception... Satan's deception of Eve did not destroy God's plan. He magnified his glory. God magnified his glory by showing himself greater than the devil and saying, my plan will endure and from my guidance, from my providence will come the one who will deliver uh, my creation from this fall. And Satan will be crushed. Satan intended to separate man from woman because he took note that the family is the engine of civilization. And the unit that fulfills God's creation mandate found in Genesis 1.28. He wanted to get women and men to deny their sexual design, to reject God's plan, because he wanted to sabotage God's creation. He failed, though he does not cease from continuing to attack. The Lord also said to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. Desire is good when properly exercised. God has made it that Eve, God had made it that Eve would desire her husband and want to live with him for God's glory. That is how it was designed to be. That they would be living together equal in their respective roles, fulfilling God's command to fill the earth and subdue. But Eve's sin bore the fruit of independence to be contrary, to be opposing her husband. God had brought Eve to Adam to serve as his helper. That term today is seen as a derogatory term. That term is seen as a term of inferiority. But we want to be disabused of that notion. For we recognize that without the woman, the man could not fulfill God's decree. And without the man, the woman could not. God's perfect design is that both are equally in His image for His glory. When Paul spoke of Eve in 1 Corinthians 11, he said that she is 
the glory of man. We don't have time to, to do the exegesis on that passage, but her call to help the man is a call to live in a way that would bring God's plan to fruition. To live in submission to Him, along with Him, that together they might glorify God in their proper roles. The partnership, this partnership was two equals with different design who were to work together for the common good. It wasn't to be two kingdoms, but one unit under God. The woman's submission to her husband was not a judgment upon her. There was authority structure built into the world. Though leadership must not be abused. It says here that your desire shall be against your husband. Contrary to him, you will desire to rule, to resist as a result of this choice. When Paul looks back upon the teaching in this first book of the Bible, when he writes to the Ephesians, he states very clearly what God's purpose was as the Spirit guides him. Ephesians chapter 5. He indicates that God intended for a man to marry a woman to be in marriage and that it ought to look, it had to have a certain order to it. Listen to what he says. Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. He says that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church doesn't say it might work this way. He says that God created it this way. What Paul doesn't state is that every woman must submit to every man. He says the wife must submit to her husband. There is to be an intimate bond where both recognize their role and submit to those roles together in Christ. There are examples of abusive Men in abusive homes, they must be recognized as sinful. But they are no grounds for rejecting the teaching of God's Word in Ephesians chapter 5. Sin is to be corrected. It is to be disciplined. Man is not to dominate and enslave. We'll look more at that next week. But as God's children, we submit to God's design for us, male and female, He is our head. We dare not rebel against Him and think we will be fruitful. That we will be blessed. That we know of some better way. The Lord has given man the position of headship under Christ. And that must not be overthrown. Authority is a part of the creation, though our world hates it today. The effects of the sexual revolution have been devastating. Not just in the home, 
where home is increasingly a, a, an odd term to people, but in our culture. Put it in another context. If, if some years ago you would have been stopped by a police officer and the police officer would come to your door for breaking, and, and speak to you of breaking law, there would be recognition that that person was necessary and good. This authority was necessary to keep the peace, to keep order. But increasingly, we see people doing what? Shouting at law enforcement. Defying authority. Declaring that any hindrance to any expression that they would give in their lives for the full authenticity of themselves treats them as less than human. Whatever that term means today, and it has many definitions in the world. We, see, we hear people shouting about tearing down the system because the law treats them as those who cannot think for themselves, they say. Well, God and His authority doesn't, God and His authority don't make us less human, but help us to see what it means to be human, equal image bearers with different design for the common good. Interestingly, our world talks about how it wants diversity. It says we must tolerate and celebrate all differences as equally valid ways of living, but when contradictory paths run up against each other, we can't just turn off our minds. When things come side by side and one negates the other, when one attacks the other and consumes it, we can't say, oh, those can coexist and that will be fine. We must declare what is the right. We must call this train wreck for what it is and present it as such. It is interesting that there is one thing that is not tolerated today, and that is truth. It's the world today if it spoke clearly about what it wants, would say this, I want everyone to think like me and agree with me and let me live the way I want to live. The world under sin refuses to be corrected by the truth. It sees truth as oppressive. It makes truth appear racist, homophobic, or sexist, so it doesn't have to obey. But there is structure, authority, godly homes and marriages are the path for the future. Satan knows that as the family goes, so goes society. And he wants to destroy biblical teaching, biblical roles, and family. And we're in a battle. Education, politics, our civic life, all are at odds with the family. Redefining terms, redefining superior, inferior, redefining equality, redefining what it means to be human, what it means to live in partnership. And then we say, now government, you tell us what's legal and what's not legal, and the government says, we don't have the ability to do so. We function according to the law, and you don't want the law. You want to do as you see fit. And then you threaten that if we don't do what you want us to, want us to do, we'll vote you out. subtle attack for what is really going on in the hearts of unbelievers. They don't want God. They don't want His authority. 
the family must be supported and promoted and proper roles. We don't have time to look at how that affects men today. We'll look at that next week, Lord willing. But the word that is used here, your desire shall be against your husband, that word is used in chapter 4 where God comes to Cain and says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is against you. Sinful desire is not for you. It's against you. It seeks to tear down and to break down and to destroy. And he says, but you must rule over it. You must master it, it says in the NIV. Today we see Today we see how this particular verse is coming true when it says your desire shall be against your husband and he shall rule over you. We have destroyed the category of husband and wife. We have now made it the battle of the sexes. What we see in magazines are women on the front trying to look desirable reversing what is taking place and saying, I want control, knowing that man is a visual person and therefore saying, don't you desire me? And dangling it there and saying, but you can't have this. And that is not how it's supposed to be. The woman is to be attractive to her husband and the husband is to protect his wife. We are to be careful how we dress, we be careful how we act lest we think that we are somehow in the driver's seat because we have others looking at us. Young women, you don't want that kind of attention. kind of attention from men who are simply looking for physical interaction, but that don't want to lead well. Be careful how you dress. And men, a word to you, be careful what your eyes look at. Yes, I know we're supposed to save that for next week, but we have to say that. Be careful what you look at, what you give yourself to. If we had time, we could look at the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, there are two women put forth. The first in the, in the book of Proverbs is the adulteress who simply wants attention. And what she's doing is trying to woo the man to drive him away from the right and from the truth. And the, the warning is, do not go after her, for you shall perish if you do. The other woman that is set forth is Lady Wisdom. And she is the one who is worth far more than rubies, far more than gold, far more than anything else, for she seeks to do what? Build up her house. There's so much here that that, that I had to just set aside, and I'm already treading on maybe saying too much this morning and running out of time. Proverbs 31 says this, 
She is industrious. She is a worker. She is one engaged. It doesn't say that the woman, in order to be fulfilling Genesis, uh, uh, the Genesis role, is that she must stay in her home. Don't, don't misunderstand me. It's not what it says. But it says that she lives for the glory of her husband. She lives for the glory of the home. She lives to serve that God may be manifest. When the children rise up and call her blessed, they don't, say, they don't say this because they say, well, mom, you finally got what you wanted. You got your way. You're on your way to your success. They rise up because they see that what she has done has been a benefit to the entire home. And that then flows out to the benefit of the civilization. That submission doesn't make her inferior. That, that, that position doesn't mean she is less than the man. It is absolutely vital that she live in that way so that the home might be reflecting the relationship of Christ and the church. The church submitting to Christ and Christ then leading and saying, look what I have done for you, that you might be washed, that you might be glorified, that the society might take note and give praise to God for His good design. Christ came to restore our glory. Don't misunderstand. I don't mean that we're more glorious than God, but to restore the glory that God gave, made in His image. Christ came to restore our glory. And He had to submit to do so. And I want to end there this morning as we look at, as I just read Philippians chapter 2. As I said, if you have more questions, believe me, they've all gone through my head this week. And We just don't have time to cover them this morning. But Christ came submitting to the Father. And I have to make this point. Does that mean He's inferior to the Father? By no means. That is heresy. He is one with the Father, co-equal with Him from eternity, and yet, out of love for the Father, He came in that role that God had given Him that He might Give and provide that He might be blessed. Listen to how Paul writes it. Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves which is, uh, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, though He was equal to God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but set aside His glory by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Laying down his life that God's treasured possession, his people, might be redeemed. His desire was to fulfill the role that his father had given to him. He was the offspring of the woman to whom we look through our suffering and pain. Jesus was not robbed of anything in his submission to his Father. He considered it all joy to live for the Lord. He was one with the Father, equal to him from eternity. His glory was in his giving of himself that we might be delivered from sin. Because of his obedience, he has been given a name that is above every name. He has been exalted that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that He is greater than all, than all men. 
We're called to follow his example of willing submission in our roles in the world. Today we spoke of the women's role. Next week, Lord willing, the men's role. When we do this, it is for our good and God is glorified. And that is our purpose. We live for his glory. The culture that we live in will not applaud this. It will not promote this. In fact, it will try to destroy this. But there is joy and there is fulfillment in obedience. There is forgiveness in Christ for all our disobedience. There is a hope of total cleansing at His coming. Well, we must stop there next week. Lord willing, we'll look at sin's lingering effects on men and again, our everlasting hope in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we seek to stand apart from the world to be holy, a set-apart people, we fight with the presentation that the world sets before us, the counterfeit that Satan sets before us. Truly, our own hearts at times press against your design for us. We ask that you would forgive us for that, for our sins, and that you would help us to understand that what you have given us for our good, that we live for your glory and not for personal attention. When, when we go out each day, when we are at home each day, wherever we are, let it be that we say and do that which would point people to you. Purify our thoughts. Help us to live in keeping with your law, which gives freedom. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.